have found it. The Hidden Yardage Podcast on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. I'm Mark Lane. Find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Joined always by Sean Martin. You can find him on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And if you don't, if I run into you in public, I, I will use word of mouth to help spread the podcast as I did last weekend at my niece's basketball tournament here in Northwest Ohio. I saw a guy wearing a Cowboys hat and I said, you know, Dallas Cowboys hat. And I said, Hey, you need to listen to the hidden yardage podcast. Check it out. Did the Apple Spotify tune in and Stitcher thing. And I said, you need to listen to that Sean Martin because he always brings the analysis. Hey, that's right. Good to be back, Mark. And, you know, long-time listeners of the show will remember that, uh, you know, when it's peak summertime here in Austin, which I'm not going to say it's starting to feel like that just yet, but a little bit of summer fever starting to trickle in to help get us through the, the doldrums of football offseason when it's nice out. That always helps. And so, you know, you've heard me shout out my uh, kayaking and water sports friends here. And, you know, so all of them have graciously uh, subscribed to the podcast as well. So a whole lot of fun to uh, find different ways to, to build the audience and, we know people everywhere at this point. I mean, you can spread it by word of mouth in Arkansas, Texas, Ohio, New Jersey. You name a state, we probably have ties somewhere that can find someone that should be listening to this show. Yeah, and always we're talking about the Cowboys and taking a look at uh, the situations that they find themselves in, some of which are the same situation every darn off season, And that's where, well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there's just not enough pie to go around. And that's kind of where the Cowboys are with the salary cap. And uh, they've got some salary cap casualties on their books. Um, and it, it like everyone, every team has them, except, of course, I would say the Chicago Bears. I don't think they have a salary cap casualty because they're just swimming in salary cap space this year. They've got the largest in the NFL. But, uh, you know, the uh, the Cowboys, they, they're in the negative, and they've got to get in the positive by um, the start of the new league year, which is when free agency begins in the middle of March. And, you know, they've got some tough decisions to make, Sean. Yeah, pick you up on how I ended Last week's episode, you know, we started to kind of hint about some of the off-seasons, and I think you already mentioned it there in terms of this off-season feeling like not only last off-season, but, you know, this pattern that the Cowboys find themselves in just based on how tight they are with the roster build and what they believe in in terms of how to add talent and what they prioritize, first and foremost being the draft and being able to get those controllable rookie contracts on the books and help with cap space that way, but then, you know, still finding themselves in trouble with some veteran players who, in this particular year's case, you know, veteran players that make their contract decision maybe a little bit easier because a lot of them haven't necessarily been on the field for the full, you know, 16, 17 games that you'd like to see them playing. So that availability issue is one that, you know, we know that they've hung over the head of Amari Cooper and some other big name players before. And so that could definitely sway some of the decisions that they have coming up on, you know, Tyron Smith, Ezekiel Elliott, you name it, some big names that, we all talked about and we all freaked out a little bit, remember, when they weren't on the team last year, 
you know, we could be having those same conversations this year. Although the, the front office has earned a little bit of trust to, you know, make these types of moves and still field a competitive team, but we're still going to be talking about very similar type of roster moves to get them back under the cap where they need to be. They have the 21st most cap space in the NFL. Uh, they're in the hole for $10.6 million. Uh, the official number, according to Over the Cap, is $10 million. Six hundred twenty-two thousand eight hundred and eighty-seven dollars. So I mean, you know, they may need to get a, a GoFundMe going at this point. Yeah, the Stephen Jones uh, pie fundraiser. The GoFundMe's can be a little obscene, uh, just with how the outrageous things that get, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, like a recipe for a peanut butter sandwich type of thing, but. I could see Cowboys Nation doing something like that, the fan base, <laughs> of somebody having to go fund me for the Dallas Cowboys salary cap pie. And the logo is just, what kind of pie would you have? Would you have a pecan pie or a pumpkin pie or what kind of pie? Pecan might be more timely for, you know, the, the home-based Cowboy fans here in Texas, but I, I would probably put an apple pie up there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what would happen. Um, all right, well, let's get down to some of those salary cap casualties. Um, and the, the, the roster, they, they've they got them, you know, with their salary cap space. Who's a salary cap casualty that's out there, Sean? that you would make the case, no, let's go ahead and keep him. And how would you keep him? Well, as far as a player I'd like to keep, I think it's Tyron Smith, and it's going to be difficult because, you know, of all the players that have a potential cap pit that you can get off the books, his is the highest on this entire roster. So when you talk about still having so many pressing team needs, still needing to add a receiver and elsewhere on the offensive line and, you know, keeping Dan Quinn's defense full of talent, all these things that, you like to accomplish this offseason, do you see a path to doing that with Tyrant Smith on the roster or does it get easier without him on the roster? And certainly the numbers say it's easier without him and then that's compounded by those same avail- availability issues that I mentioned with you know Smith consistently, of course, not being on the field. Also compounded by the way that Tyler Smith was able to step in and prove that he can already be a capable starting left tackle and the growth that he showed, of course, that opens up the same type of left guard hole that you faced last offseason amidst all your other needs, and you're going to have to face it again if Tyler Smith is stuck out there full-time at left tackle. But, yeah, I think it's Tyron Smith. You know, certainly the storyline with him was a heartfelt one last year. He was that mercenary-type player that you need when you're trying to make a playoff run. In fact, he was willing to come back and play right tackle, a position that, you know, another veteran player like Zach Martin pretty much refused to play because of the injury risk of going out from guard. I know it's different from Smith being a career tackle, but still to step in a right tackle as a veteran like that and be that mercenary, you know, the stars felt like they were aligned for him to be a part of a team that made a deeper playoff run. Of course, it didn't work out. And so now the reality of that is to go through a whole offseason expecting to do something like that again. I think that money is just better spent elsewhere. And, you know, it's going to be tough to justify keeping Tyron Smith around, but I know I'm not alone when I say that fans, you know, accustomed to what he brings to the team. He's a veteran who's gone about this thing the right way since the beginning of his career and has been a, a mainstay on an offensive line that was considered the best in the league for a really long time. So if there's any way to keep him around, 
and every Cowboys and the fan base would like to see that. Yeah, and as we talked about last episode with uh, members of the 20 through 22 draft classes who need to step up, you know, Josh Ball, Matt Wiletsko, I think that the organization would be willing to take a chance on those guys, uh, you know, going up in the magazine towards uh, being the swing tackle in, in a scenario like that, which then enables you to move on from Tyron Smith, at least as far as the salary cap is concerned. And we also have the franchise tag window opening on Tuesday. So right after fans are listening to this show, you know, we'll be sifting to talk about the franchise tag and of course the, the values that can be assigned and things all of that nature. And you know, you're talking about the team possibly taking a step back on the offensive line if they do move on from a player like Ty- Tyron Smith, or if they just don't get that same type of production that you're calling for out of a Matt Oletsko or a Josh Ball. You know, how do you make up for those types of things? And Certainly, I don't think it's worth you know running back like Ezekiel Elliott, who just doesn't have the same type of ability to make defenders miss anymore. You know, to be able to make up for what you have on the offensive line, he is your prototypical. You know, he'll get what the line blocks for you type of back at this point in his career. Where Tony Pollard, of course, is the opposite of that. Tony Pollard could be much more dynamic and make defenders miss, and you know, help you make up for those things. I don't know if he gives you the same thing that Elliott would in pass protection, which is what you really need if your offensive line is depleted, but you know, I think you can find another back to give you the small things that Elliott does when the main thing you need is more so what Tony Pollard gives you, which his cap number is going to come in around probably $10 million is what the projection is for running backs this year. That's exactly the amount of cap space or base salary, I should say, that Elliott is due to make this season. He's scheduled for a total of $16.7 million against the cap. So, you know, in a lot of ways, the Cowboys can still be criticized for the Ezekiel Elliott contract, looking back on it. But if you want to just look forward and how they can reconcile it, it does line up nicely that the potential uh, cap number, franchise tag number for Tony Pollard lines up with what they can get moving on from Ezekiel Elliott. Incidentally, Ezekiel Elliott is actually the one salary cap casualty that I picked that I, you know, think that they should keep around. Um but I, oh no! No, hey, look. I mean, for those of you who've ever seen me on blogging, no, I want to. I'll hear. I'll hear your case for it. Um, no, but I'm saying, like, if you have ever watched me on the blogging the boys roundtable on Tuesday nights, and RJ will do something like name one area on the team that's not being talked about. And if and if you can't steal what someone else just brought up, so then I'm sitting there and you, you know, someone brings up defensive line, someone else brings up receiver, someone else brings up safety or something, and I'm just left to pick through all of these obvious, you know, positions. I started talking about uh, long snapper. I was like, well, they need to really evaluate long snapper. <laughs> hey, you know, because I I will take any position and that's and i anticipated that i knew you were gonna go with tyron smith right well no i actually had ezekiel inside baseball here i had ezekiel written down but the way you framed the question was instead of 
you know, what case can you make to bring him back just to make the case? You asked who I personally want back, and I don't want Ezekiel Elliott back. So that's why I had to kind of shift gears just a little bit. And in turn, I feel like I threw you a softball to, you know, talk about Elliott here. So. Oh, I, I ended up getting my softball. All right, well, with the um, Louisville Slugger aluminum bat here, ting, <laughs> I hit it and say that, you know, with Ezekiel Elliott, with him – I think they may do the post-June 1st cut on him because they can save $10.9 million against the salary cap, and then they can, but they pay $5.8 million in dead money. Uh, you got to remember that his salary cap um, hit, his cap number is $16.7 million for this year, but none of that money is guaranteed. Uh, which kind of gives Dallas a little bit of an out. Like I said, I think if they wanted to move on and save money, they might try to make him a post-June 1st cut. If they can't, then you're, pay, you're losing $11.8 million in dead money if, you, if Ezekiel Elliott is a pre-June 1st cut. And you're only saving four point eight six million against the salary cap, and at that point, I would just go ahead and keep him. See if he'd be willing to do a restructure, because Elliot's got to be smart enough to know that with the analytics and everything these days, and that the game is more about passing, and it's not nineteen seventy four anymore. That the running backs truly are a dime a dozen, and with his production having gone down, um, there's only so much you can sell on being a great locker room guy, which he is, on being great for team chemistry and synchronizing with the quarterback, which he does, and being an excellent pass protector, which he is. But there's that only goes so far at a contract like this. And so if he would be willing to restructure, which he might do, because nothing after starting with this season is guaranteed in his contract. None of it. And so if he'd be willing to take a restructure with a little guaranteed money and then lessen his cap hit, you know, then the Cowboys, they can save money, and Ezekiel Elliott has a little bit more security, at least – for 2023. I think that um, with this organization, I think that they have an out. I'm mean, not an out. Let me back up. We've talked about this a little bit. I think after the 2024 season will represent an opportunity to do a, a rebuild on offense. Let's just put it that way. And I think that if Elliott were to coordinate his contract with the Cowboys, it would line up with something like that where they can get out of the Elliott contract either in the 24 offseason or or by 53-man cut down or just the whole season in general. But uh, that'd be my case for bringing back Ezekiel Elliott. And going to Mike McCarthy's offense, a more West Coast style, and we'll see fully the influence that that has, you know, of course, later in the offseason with OTA's camp and through the preseason. But you would think that 
that would be more writing on the wall to move on from a back like Elliott, more that, you know, between the tackles, physical type of back that's being phased out of today's game. But, you know, I guess that's more of a modern West Coast style. That's more of the Kyle Sanahan or Christian McCaffrey type of offense. But, you know, McCarthy goes far enough back of this offense where if you look at some of the running backs that he's gotten the most success out of, the only two that have multiple thousand yard seasons under him in Green Bay were Ryan Grant and Eddie Lacy. So they are both kind of backs that Elliott can replicate or you know, remind you of Elliott and their prime a little bit. So, you know, that physical type of back does have a role in this offense, but of course every role on a team has to come at a cost. And, you know, right now those two things aren't aligned for Elliott and what the Cowboys get from him. Like I said, that's my case for bringing back Ezekiel Elliott, who more than likely will be a salary cap casualty, but uh, hey, that's what happens when you're $10 million in the hole. So, um, yeah. It, yeah, by the way, I'm struggling to find a uh, another candidate for this franchise tag that opens up, by the way. I mean, do we want to pay Donovan Wilson $14.46 million? Leighton Van Der Esse, linebacker tag, $20.9 million. Like, it is a struggle to find anybody besides Tony Pollard, other than maybe, again, Dalton Saltz and the tight end numbers, $11.3 million. But I think you like what Jake Ferguson, Peyton Henderson might give you at that cost instead. It's a struggle to find anybody anybody besides Pollard, and that could be the ultimate nail in the coffin for Elliott. Yeah, there are no, there aren't any franchise tag candidates. There just aren't. I mean, sometimes you have a season like that where there's nobody that necessitates the franchise tag. The other thing with the franchise tag that a lot of people I, I've thought they would have figured this out by now from everything with Dak Prescott, but, you know, I guess not with the attention span of a goldfish uh, for the modern American (laughs) public. Franchise tag doesn't matter until July 15th at 3 p.m. Central anyway, because uh, the franchise tag is really more of like a shielding technique to provide a bigger negotiating window for a long-term contract. So July 15th at 3 p.m. Central Time is a real deadline on the franchise tag because then after that, both sides are precluded from talking about a long-term deal until the end of the season. So I don't think that Dalton Schultz is going to get franchise tagged again because, of like you said, Jake Ferguson and uh, Peyton Endershot. I didn't think Dalton Schultz was going to get franchise tagged again when they drafted Jake Henderson. I mean, Jake Henderson. Jake Ferguson, because you saw the fourth-round pick as a solution to moving on from Dalton Schultz if he didn't prove it with a franchise tag. So, you know, I, I don't... I don't Mark Mockjash flying around of Utah's Dalton Kincaid as your first-round pick, though, which is a little bit intriguing right now. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I just, I don't think that they really have any franchise tag candidates on the roster. Although uh, maybe they should use it on, um, maybe they should use it on Tristan Hill. <laughs> the, I, was, I was looking at defensive tackle because of Carlos Watkins, who like, if it was cheap, you know, he's a guy you'd want back, but yeah, defensive tackles, 18.9 million. So certainly that tag blows, you know, both those players out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know Tristan Hill's not on the roster. I'm just goofing around here, but, uh, yeah, I, I just – and that's the other thing, too, 
with that 20. I forgot he existed for a hot second. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, too, with the 2019 draft and how, you know, you can't really afford to have a bad draft is because um, Dallas got, they didn't have a first-round pick, so then you didn't have anybody you could use the fifth-year option on. So all these guys are coming up now in Connor McGovern, Tony Pollard, uh, Donovan Wilson. Um, would you use the Would you use the franchise tag on Donovan Wilson? If the number made more sense, you know that's certainly a candidate just based on you know what he means to the team and how you'd like to see more from him. But again, at fourteen point four million, yeah, that's another tough uh, tough pill to swallow just to get Donovan Wilson back here, especially given what Dan Quinn you know is able to do with the safety position, kind of just make those guys interchangeable. Yeah, it's going to take a a restructure from a couple of people in order to free up the cap space, you know, because they're $10 million in the hole. Yeah, not the best uh, you know, position starting out the offseason for the Cowboys to be in, but I guess the positive way of looking at it is, you know, you go up and down that free agent list and like, sure, you can make a case for a lot of these guys. Like, yeah, I'd like to have them back and or you know, even going further down the line in the draft, you'd like to have somebody of that caliber back so that you're not pigeonholed in the draft, which is, of course, something they like to do. But, you know, they've also proven that they can find each year a new class of free agents, no matter what their cap space situation seems to be, where they get the same type of production out of these guys. They still can draft cleanly and and draft well at that, so that when you do have that big need, you go ahead and hit a home run like Tyler Smith and fill those big positions of need with, you know, players that are then under a good contract number. So, you know, yeah, there, there's some guys that met the whole lot to this team, and you're going to get some of them back, but I wouldn't overly worry about the situation in terms of, you know, what Dan Quinn's going to have to work with on defense, and I know we'll talk about that in a second as far as his long-term outlook with what he's going to have to work with and what it means. And, you know, of course, the offense is continuing to put pressure on Dak Prescott, but that's what happens with franchise quarterbacks. I mean, look at the show that both Patrick Mahomes, the winning quarterback, and Jalen Hurts for the Eagles is put on in the Super Bowl. That's the type of standard that it's going to take to get any quarterback to the Super Bowl, I think. That's modern football that the Cowboys are a step behind, and, you know, lagging a bit when it comes to playing that way in offense, and they think that Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheim was their answer there, so whether or not it is, we'll find out. But, you know, if it is, then you have your answer in Dak Prescott, CDLM, and some other options to throw to at the moment. And, of course, you know, we'll start to look at some of these other options in the draft when the time comes for that. Do you use the draft, then, to pick another offensive lineman in round one? Because Todd McShay's draft had the Cowboys taking Osiris Torrance from Florida in round one. So that'd be the first time since 2013, 2014, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, that Dallas went back to back with first round offensive linemen. Of course it worked then, but be the first time since they did that. You could certainly make a very strong case for it. You know, you want to just draft something in the first round that you know, you're going to hit on and the Cowboys have such a great track record now continuing until last year with Tyler Smith of hitting on first round offensive linemen. So it's never a bad idea to, you know, take a position that helps keep your franchise quarterback upright, keeps your running game strong, which is, of course, no matter who's going to be running the ball, Ezekiel Elliott or not, still a priority here. And, you know, let you get another player that you're going to need in here. You know, ask the difference between the need that they have on the offensive line this year and last year was last year they knew they had so many other issues as well. And, you know, they were creating all these big holes with these big name releases with Lyle Collins and the Mari Cooper situation and, Everything going on was just blowing holes in the roster for, you know, that were going to have to be addressed in the draft, free agency, and 
big pressing needs. And then on top of that, they said, oh, you know, we think we can handle fixing all of this on the fly, plus getting another left guard in here. We don't need Connor Williams either. We can fix all these other big name positions and left guard at the same time. And then they drafted who they thought was the left guard, and he ended up not playing all that much left guard, and it still worked out. This year, you know, if you do go into the draft with another need at left guard because you don't have Tyron Smith and Tyler Smith is definitely your left tackle, well, then you could be more prepared for it. We've seen, like I said, that they can draft well even when not fully prepared for it. So if it does suit up the list of needs, you know, we could trust them to get that job done. It's just a matter of then do they ignore the need at receiver and make Prescott throw to the likes of, you know, Noah Brown or T.Y. Hilton, who you could bring back again. That remains to be seen too, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to trust this team to continue to draft off at the lineman well and the value that it would bring to get another player in here to help the run game next to Tyler Smith, LF guard, be it, or an upgraded center over Beatus, whatever it may be. You're not ready to lock that in just yet, of course. We have until April. But yeah, right now, I, I certainly can't see myself being upset with their first-round pick being another off at the lineman. Yeah, and you want to give Mike Solari as many pieces as possible to work with as you have this possibly post Tyron Smith offensive line, uh, you know you want you saw what he did when he had Will Shields and Willie Rove in Kansas City, even though it's a long time ago. I know, but still, uh, you saw what he did in that first San Francisco uh, 49ers offensive line under Jim Harbaugh how they were able to clear lanes for Frank Gore. So if you give him the pieces, you know, he can assemble something that can protect and road grade. Yeah, another road grading left guard would just be, you know, the perfect fit for this offense. And we saw some great things when even a veteran like Jason Peters was able to get out and pull and do those things on the move in the run game and get out there and be on duo blocks with Tyler Smith. So if you had... Tyler Smith and Terrence Steele, who excels at those types of things, and another left guard whose skill set, you know, fits that mold. And yeah, then we could really be talking about getting back to a very strong run game here. And you know, I think a lot of Cowboys fans, myself included, hope that Tony Pollard could be the long-term beneficiary of that and go be more of your feature back and, you know, maybe draft a day three or third or fourth round option as well to catch passes. And, you know, then we could really be talking about having those checkdowns and having a more consistent offense that doesn't, you know, fall flat at the end of the season because you're just putting so much pressure on just the two or three receivers that take the field on every given snap as opposed to really being able to hang your hat on a versatile run game that, you know, another guard could give you. The thing with the young running backs, though, is you can find them in the mid-rounds the early day three, uh, because that's basically where they found Tony Pollard. But yeah, I I might want to have a little bit of a veteran presence at least through the off season workouts. Yeah, I wrote an article for bloggingtheboys.com about how the biggest takeaway from the Super Bowl for the Cowboys perspective, it's easy to look at quarterback and you know not only have Cowboys fans be discouraged, but I don't know how any fan base besides the Chiefs, obviously wouldn't be discouraged by the way that, you know, Pat Mahomes just before limited time of possession and trailing and injured and all these things stacked against him was able to pull it off. And so then we all sit here and ask ourselves, you know, how do we be more like the Chiefs? And it starts with a player whose skill set can't be replicated, right? You know, Pat Mahomes is just a one-of-one type of player that you either have him or you don't. And if you don't, it doesn't seem like you're going to be getting the Super Bowl anytime soon, at least out of the AFC. But I looked at it in a different way. 
with the running backs in this game. You know, the highest pick in the entire game at running back was uh, Miles Sanders, second-round pick of the Eagles, who hasn't even been, you know, much of a full-time starter up until this year. And even still, you know, they call on Jalen Hurts much more in the run game. He had those three touchdowns in the Super Bowl. They call on Boston Scott, who is more of your Ezekiel Elliott-type goal-line type of player who does some things there for the Eagles. So, you know, and then Rutgers' own Isaiah Pacheco for the Chiefs was a big factor as well, along with journeyman Jarek McKinnon. So, you know, it's easy to look at the quarterbacks and even the offensive play callers and say that that's why the Cowboys are so far from these teams. But if you can start to replicate the way that they not ignore running back, but the way that they spend their resources at running back and still get so much production out of it, then we could be talking about, you know, bridging that gap and being much closer to any of these modern offenses that you want to talk about, not just the Chiefs or the Eagles, but the other teams that we hold to a high standard of being in contention every year, the Bills of Josh Allen, the Bengals with Joe Burrow. You know, why does Dak Prescott consistently get put a step below these quarterbacks? Well, it's, it could be play calling, it could be the run game, and, you know, the run game suffers because of how much you've had tied up to Ezekiel Elliott. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. So, Sean, uh, as we move on here on the Hidden Yardage, podcast uh when you look at the cowboys you were talking about uh you know patrick mahomes and the chiefs and everybody wants to try to be like the chiefs but oh hey there's only one patrick mahomes but yet they've made it in the super bowl and they've had some good matchups with the 49ers tom brady and the buccaneers and now the eagles and it's you know been a long time since the Cowboys have been in the Super Bowl, but they were in a lot. I mean, they've been in eight. Uh, but there were some matchups that they missed out on throughout the decades. Are there any historical postseason matchups that never were that you wish the Cowboys would have had with a specific team? Yeah, so now I asked you about this question off to you a bit, and I decided to take a bit of a kind of a sci-fi approach to it, if you will, as far as, you know, you can look at this from matchups that actually were 
realistic to happen and then didn't because, you know, the teams were in the same year or throughout the same couple of years where they were in contention. But I chose to, I guess, have a little bit more fun with it and take, you know, two teams with completely different errors. And if you could throw them into a, into a game and see what would happen, would you like to see it? And so I said, really any of the 90s Cowboys dynasty teams, but, you know, let's drive it home with, of course, the 96 team that won the Super Bowl on my birthday. And I'm going to put them up against that undefeated 07 Patriots team that was a juggernaut, but lost to the New York Giants, which just gave so many Giants fans that I lived around and with all the bragging rights in the world. And, you know, they knocked off that Patriots team and it was euphoric for New Jersey and New York and every Giants fan everywhere. And so I'd like to think, of course, if that was a Giants team that was considered a considerable underdog in that game, that, of course, the 90s Dynasty Cowboys would be able to have their way with the 07 Patriots and what that would mean to their legacy in that way. So, you know, as far as things that the 90s Cowboys were never able to do, they sort of accomplished a whole lot, but I don't think they knocked off any Tom Brady undefeated teams. And so if they could have been in the situation to do that, that would be a cool, uh, you know, fictional sci-fi comic book matchup that I'd like to see to put the Cowboys in the same position that the Giants were in and flip that script just a little bit. For me, I basically looked at scenarios where Dallas could have played certain teams of that particular age. Um, For example, there were opportunities to have a Cowboys Raiders Super Bowl, believe it or not. Um, And you would have had the 70s Cowboys and the 70s Raiders. Two opportunities for that that I think would have been really fun would have been in 1975, Dallas, uh, they made it to Super Bowl ten. But in the AFC Championship game, uh, the Raiders lost on an icy Three Rivers Stadium field to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who went on. And then in 76, uh, the Raiders finally made it to the Super Bowl, but the Cowboys were stymied in the divisional round by the L.A. Rams. And, of course, nobody really cared or knew. Nobody could spell divisional back then, so they didn't know whether or not Dallas was in the midst of some kind of drought related to divisional playoff wins, so no one really cared. Uh, And then the same thing uh, in 1980, the Raiders qualified for Super Bowl uh, fourteen. Um, I'm sorry, Super Bowl 15, and Dallas, they lost in the NFC Championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles, um, and that's basically the closest that America got to seeing the Cowboys versus the Raiders in the Super Bowl. Potential for an all-time uniform matchup in a Cowboys-Raiders Super Bowl. I mean, that would be aesthetically... Awesome, right there. Oh, yeah, and then leave it to, you know, Jerry to have the Cowboys come out in their blues or something, or their throwbacks, and then the (laughs) Raiders are wearing their white on silver. What are you doing? Well, and it would be in a time when a Super Bowl logo also was equally as awesome and matched, you know, the type of game that that would be between the Cowboys and the Raiders and those great teams there. So, you know, now the Super Bowl logo is so mainstreamed and they all look the same, but there were definitely some better ones throughout the 80s and 90s that – would fit that type of game as well. So, yeah, if we could uh, go back in time and see what that game would look like just visually, you know, all the colors of the stadium and the logo and the uniforms would be great. Yeah, we ought to power rank the Super Bowl logos sometime. Go through all 57 of them. 
That is a deep off-season topic. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would have to be a two years worth of an off-season for me to do something like that. because Yeah, lockout year or something. Yeah, because with the Cowboys, there's always something to talk about. Speaking of which, let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays here, Sean. On Tuesday, we'll start it off with Chad Hutchinson, who played quarterback for Dallas from 02 to 03. He turns 46 years old, and he replaced Quincy Carter midway through the 02 season. And, of course, he was a former baseball pitcher, I think for the Yankees even. And, uh, yeah, that just didn't exactly materialize. But uh, more consequential Tuesday birthday is Donovan Wilson, who turns 28 years old from Shreveport, Louisiana, of course. He's uh, a product of Texas A&M. Would you keep Donovan Wilson? I'd sure love to find a way. You know, like I said, Dan Quinn can seem to make anything happen to safety in terms of these hybrid players, you know, year in and year out. But that's also not to understate what it means to have a guy who can also play a lot of snaps, like Jalen Coach, who's been here for consecutive years now. So you can look at it both ways in terms of what having Wilson back would mean, and I think it would mean a lot. I'd like to have him back. We don't know if they're going to be able to bring Leighton Vanderest back. So Wilson kind of plays that hybrid linebacker spot, could help ease potential loss of Vanderest. So, yeah, no matter how it needs to get done, I'd like to have Wilson back. I think he would put in a good effort in that 49ers playoff loss against Christian McCaffrey and that San Fran run game. We spent all offseason talking about trying to get more physical against a run, and he's a player that helped him do that. So you want to keep that here if you can. Yeah, the only thing with Wilson is sometimes the injury bug will get him. And I mean, it gets him for that particular season, as was the case in 2019 and in 2021. On Thursday, Ed Tutal Jones turned 72 years old. Oh, he's going to be his jersey number. That's pretty cool. I always think it's cool when these players turn the age of their jersey number. Imagine, though, if you had, like, you know, 97 or something. I mean, Michael Irvin with the 88, him and Drew Pearson. Yeah, the 88 club is going to be waiting a bit. Yeah. Um, but we'll definitely celebrate those birthdays when they come around. And then someone who actually did get to his jersey number, uh, Jackie Smith, he turns 83 years old. He was 81 with the Cowboys when he played in 1978. He's really kind of like the Jason Peters story, Sean, because he was had a Hall of Fame career with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he signs with the Cowboys – because they needed tight end help in 78, and he was ring chasing, and the closest he got was Super Bowl 13, where uh, Pittsburgh beat Dallas. Um, but, yeah, he turns 83 years old. Then on Sunday, Alonzo Highsmith turns 58. He was a fullback with Dallas from 90 to 91, and he's who Jerry Jones talked about in reference to Odell Beckham and just what does the medical show and Jerry used Highsmith as an example of going against what three doctors said, brought him in because the coaches had a high opinion of him, and then that's all he had to show was not even 10 games played for the Cowboys. And that was your Cowboys' birthdays. And as someone that appreciates you know broadcasting history, and Jackie Smith, of course, on the infamous Vernal Lundquist ended that call with the bless his heart call, 
um, dropping that pass in the Super Bowl. So, you know, that is one that, uh, you know, Vernon Alquist went on to be probably more known for to the modern audience doing, you know, everything from SEC football to basketball to golf on CBS and big time television games, but was also doing the Super Bowl at that time and uh, is the voice you hear for that iconic Jackie Smith call. Yeah, he's got to be the sickest man in America. Yep. Sad times for, for sure. I actually missed the whole Alonzo Highsmith-Odell comparison. I guess at a certain point, we all just got so tired of the constant Odell updates that like, there was always so much you could process. So I was kind of worried for a second where you were going with you know comparing a, a fullback that played on the team in the 90s to Odell. But I guess it all came together and well, first of all, Jerry's head and then, you know, here for us. But, yeah, I didn't know uh, quite where either you or Jerry was going with that for a second. Oh, yeah. The the old L thing near the end of the year was just like when anyone would ask Jerry about Johnny Manziel in 2014 when the <laughs> team is undefeated on the road going into December and the Eagles are in first place and all that, and there's still questions on Johnny Manziel after games in the scrum in AT&T Stadium's tunnel right outside the locker room, you know. So but that's kind of what the Odell thing became. It was, yeah. You do what you can for a quote and, you know, to keep the thing relevant. But like I said, plenty of other reasons for not only that Cowboys team that was asked about Manziel, but his past year's team to be relevant. But now we get a whole offseason to talk about Odell. So, you know, lucky us. Yeah, lucky us. All right, let me turn in my homework. I took a listen to... Uh, what was it? ROI, uh, Speedwagon. REO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. REO Speedwagon. <laughs> Roll with the change. Marked it just like seconds before we recorded. Yeah. So how much credit do I get? Man, I was gonna be hard on you, but you know, you've hit a soft spot, I guess. Um, you know, to every student, myself included, whoever did a homework assignment, while the teacher was going around collecting other kids' homework assignments, that's pretty much what you did with this song, and we can all relate to pulling that off and the feeling of, you know the the feeling of getting that done and the high of knowing that you just did that assignment 30 seconds before it was due, which is exactly what you did here. So, you know what? Full credit for you. All right. Thank you. Well, the other homework I'm working on is I had Rise and Draft, um, Ryan Reynolds follow me, and he's from New Jersey. I asked him, I tagged you in it on Sunday. I said, what's it called? A pork roll sandwich or a Taylor ham sandwich? And I got into... Kevin Barkhard's DMs this past week, and I asked him to please ask Greg Olson what it's called. So we're getting answers, Sean. Yeah, I saw your draft fall. They said it was Perkle, so you know he made a friend here, and well, I'll anxiously await what uh, both Burkhardt and Olson call it. I'd like to think they're going to be on the right side of calling it Perkle as well. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify. Tune in and Stitcher. Follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL. Follow me at the Real Mark Lane. So there it is. Yeah.